0: Well, First John chapter 5 is so rich. Have you enjoyed First John? Isn't it good stuff? It's just good stuff. I've really enjoyed it. And so let's pray, and then let's get right into the chapter, and let's, let's just eat the God's manna for us tonight. Lord, we just thank you that you're here, and that, Lord, the Spirit of God, the great teacher of the church, is here ahead of us, and, Lord, only the Holy Spirit can remove Uh, the scales from our eyes, and give us understanding in our heart when it comes to spiritual things. And I'm asking you, Lord, the Holy Spirit of revelation, of illumination, would shine on us tonight. Shine forth on us tonight, Lord, and teach us the living word of God. For, Lord, we are hungry. Can you say with me tonight, church, I'm hungry for the word of God. Say with me, feed me, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him God heard that prayer. Amen. All righty. How many of you read ahead in, in chapter 5 so you kind of know where I'm going and you're going to check me out, see if I got it right? How many of you, gonna, how many of you read ahead in chapter 5? All right, good deal. Um, this is the living, breathing word of God. There is no book like the Bible anywhere in the world. It's the only book in the world that is not of the world or from the world. The Bible declares of itself that it is given by inspiration of God, theonoustos, meaning breathed out literally by God. Every verse, every word breathed out. So we're coming to what I think is just just some stuff that's desperately needed for the church today. And uh, how many of you think the Lord, the, the Lord needs to help the, the Western church just a little bit? Amen? Yes, he does. So last time we closed out chapter 4 with John asking how we can say we love God, whom we have not seen, uh, when we can't love the brethren who we have seen. And that's just a little zinger from John. You know, you say you love God, but how can you love God who you've never seen when you can't even love his children who you have seen? All right. So that's true. Now, in chapter 5, he's going to continue with what he's been doing the whole letter. Various proofs of how to be certain you know God, love God, or a child of God, or if you're not. See, to me, John's letter, 1 John, is sort of like uh, uh, how to prove, how to know for sure you're in or you're out. You're of him or you're not of him. You know him or you don't know him. You're walking in the light or you're not walking in the light. The whole letter is sort of like a test or a proof or sort of an acid test to show us um, if we're really where we hope to be, where we assume we are, if we really do know him. Now, in chapter 5, he's going to continue along that vein. And let's look at verse 1. He says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and we keep his commandments. All right, now John begins with the same thing he said throughout the letter. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ... The very begotten Son of God who was prophesied by all the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, you name it, minor prophets, major prophets, the Psalms, Moses, Abraham, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3.15. If if you believe all that the Bible prophesied was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, then you've been born again. Amen? You've been born again. If you believe that, not just an intellectual assent, but if you believe it in your heart, then you have been born from above. You've been born again. Now, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians twelve three. another little test. Nobody speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You know, I almost hate to say it, but how do you hear Jesus Christ mentioned out there in the public? you know you hear it derogatorily you hear it uh, you hear it his name taken in vain um i don't even want to say it you know what you hear his name is taken in vain jesus christ this and that and the other it says nobody nobody speaking by the spirit of god can talk that way nobody can talk that way if you're speaking by the spirit of god you can't talk that way and you can't say with all of your heart with full belief jesus is lord except by the Holy Spirit's inspiration. Now, no one can receive him as Lord, can think or speak reverently of him. No one can make profession of his name, can worship him in spirit and truth, can heartily acknowledge his divinity and lordship, but by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. You know, the Holy Ghost has one message for our planet, Jesus. I mean, that's the message of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, right? Right? Jesus said, when he comes, he will testify of me. So that's one way to know somebody really got saved. Because if the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, you're going to be talking about Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit living inside of you is going to move you to talk about Jesus. Amen? Come on, everybody. You're going to talk about Jesus. Jesus. You're going to brag on Jesus, talk Jesus up, talk the devil down. You're going, to, you're going to glorify Jesus, magnify Jesus, love Jesus, lift Jesus up. It's going to be Jesus, the, the fuller you are of the Holy Spirit, the more focused on Jesus you're going to be because that's his message. If you, say, if you can say from your heart, Jesus is Lord with all that that entails, then you have been born again. If you've been born again, give the Lord a hand of praise tonight. Aren't you glad for the grace of God? Amen. And as John, if you believe in him, that is, God, if you believe in him, God, who begot Jesus, you will also love those begotten of him. And that's the person on either side of you. That's the body of Christ. If you love the Father who sent his only begotten Son, then you're going to love those who are also begotten of him because everyone in here who has been born of God has been begotten of God. You've been born twice now. And so God is your father. Amen? God's your father. Now, if we truly love the children of God, we're going to keep his commandments. Watch what John is saying now. If you really love the children of God, you are going to keep his commandments. Why would he say that? Because I would think he would say, if you really love God, you're going to keep his commandments. But he's already said that. So why is he now saying also, if we really love the children of God, those begotten of him, then we will also keep his commandments? Here's what it means we will walk with God not just for ourselves, but for those who are watching us, for those who look to our faith as an example. See, if you're born again tonight, and, and everybody in here says they are, if you're born again, somebody's watching you. So there, there's somebody in your orbit, and they know what you have claimed to be, a Christian, and, and they're watching you. And so I not only walk with God and keep his commandments because I love him, but then John takes it horizontal, not just vertical. If you love God then and you love his children begotten of him, then you will also Keep his commandments for their sake for their sake. Uh, listen to what Jesus said about his own life. He said in John 17:19, I make myself holy for who everybody. That's two of you. Let's try it again. I make myself holy. you can read it. say it for them. Who's the them? the disciples, those looking to him. Jesus said, "I live a holy life not just for vertical reasons, but horizontal reasons. I'm I'm living a holy life for them, the disciples. So why? So that they, too, can be made holy by the truth. In other words, when you walk with God, it has a trickle-down. Walking with God has a trickle-down effect. When you walk with God, now I'm not saying perfectly. None of us are perfect. But if you're sincere, if you're seeking him, if you're doing your best to walk with him and be the kind of Christian you know that he wants you to be, Uh, it has a trickle-down. It has a trickle-down effect on your children, on your spouse, on your friends, your neighbors. It trickles down. Paul said, so suppose what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin. Then what should I do? Well, then I will never eat meat or whatever it is I'm doing that's making them stumble. In that way, I will not cause them to fall. Now, that's talking about the weaker brother concept. The weaker brother concept is simply, again, I'm not just walking with with God, obeying his commandments because I love him vertically, but I'm also walking with him and obeying his commandments because I love those around me, and I don't want to be a source of stumbling for them. So there's things I could do but I won't do because of those who are watching me. For instance, let me be careful here. Uh, let me be careful here. Let me let me be careful here. <laughs> like like like, if I've got we we have people in our church who are getting the victory over alcohol, okay. So far be it from me to ever get around them and drink, because then I'm going to cause them to stumble. See, I don't drink anything ever. I don't want alcohol. I don't like it. I don't want it. But here I do it for two reasons. I just don't like it. I don't like it. I don't want anything to cloud my thinking. I think it clouds your thinking. This is just me. I'm not trying to cast uh, condemnation on anybody. I'm really not. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But I don't do it because it clouds your thinking. Uh, I think with every sip you take, you increase your chances of making a wrong decision. Now, that's my convictions, okay? But now, as pastor of this church, we have people that are struggling to get victory over alcohol, it it is literally going to destroy their life if they don't get the victory. Now, what what if they came up to me and said, Pastor, do you drink? I want to be able to say, I don't touch it. I don't need it. I don't ever want it because I want trickle down. See, trickle down. So uh, I'd I'd rather work at being filled with the Holy Spirit. I'd rather my, my intoxicant be the word of God. All right, I'd, I'd rather be filled with the Spirit than 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 drink. So, so it's just my own conviction. You you do whatever the Lord is leading you to do. However, I can tell you emphatically that if somebody is in your orbit and something you're doing is making them stumble, you need to look at that, because I don't want somebody to trip up because of me. I want them to to be able to say. Wow, he or she, they're they're the best examples I know of. And because of their example, it strengthened me to walk with God. Amen? Amen. And what's that song? He ain't heavy, he's my brother. And who is my brother? Every believer. All right? So take that, chew the meat, spit out the bones. I can tell that didn't go over real big with some of you, but that's just, listen, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You, You do whatever God tells you to do. Amen. Now, verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not a burden. Now, if we truly know and love God, John says, his commandments and requirements over our lives are not are not a burden. They're not a hassle. They're not a weight on us. Um, we don't resent them. What God, the way that Jesus Christ has called us to walk and to live, You know, his commandments about uh, what the Bible says about crucifying your flesh, taking up your cross daily and following him, forgiving one another, even as Christ has forgiven us, all the things that Jesus has taught to direct us how to live. If you really love him, that's no big deal. It's not a burden. Can I have an amen? amen? It's not a burden. It's not a burden. I was thinking of the story in the Old Testament, the patriarch Jacob you know, Jacob fled to his uh, uncle's place, Laban. Laban was his name. And um, there he found his two wives, Rachel and Leah. But Rachel's the one he fell head over heels for. She was beautiful. He fell for her. He, ha- he wanted Laban to give her to him as uh, his wife. And Laban said, sure. Hey, you can have Rachel. You got it, guy. You just got to work for me for seven years. Then she's all yours. And you know what the Bible says? He worked seven years, and let me quote it. They seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Do you hear the principle there saying when you love somebody, requirements are no big deal? When you love somebody, you know, he worked seven years, and it was just like a few days. Hey, I would work 50 years for that girl. I just wouldn't be able to see her by then. But, but seven years, I got it. You got it. I'm going to go seven years. I'm going to work seven years for Rachel. And, and they were nothing to him. So when Jesus says, I want you to forgive one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you, then we say, no big deal. Sure, I can forgive, Lord, because I love you. Uh, y'all hearing me today? So this Christianity is not a religion. It's not a bunch of to-dos, don't-dos. Uh, it's, it's not that. It's, it's a love relationship. And what he asks us to do is not a burden. It's not a burden, amen? It's not a burden, not a hassle. Now, next, John describes the victory of God's children. Verses 4 to 5, whatever is born of God does what, everyone? Overcomes the world. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that's you. If you're born of God, then you are an overcomer. What have you overcome? The world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What, everyone? Our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, I want you to notice how to John and, and, and to the other writers of the New Testament as well. If you read James and others, Peter, Paul, they all talk about the world. Now, in churches, we tend to talk about the devil. Devil this, devil that. Devil's coming against me. Devil's attacking me. But, but to them, the world was also a big deal. Regarding the way we are attacked and lured and tempted and enticed by the power of a seductive world, okay? He's not talking about God's creation, the beautiful birds and animals and trees and flowers and all of that. He's talking about the world where the devil the devil is God of this world, little g. The devil is the God of this world. And so this world is fueled by the devil's way of doing things. It's fueled by hatred, lust, fear, uh, um, covetousness. It's it's fueled by the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. It's It's fueled by the power of the devil. So notice how... John is letting us know that when we got saved, not only do we get victory over the devil, but we got victory over this present world system. Yes. Yes. Amen. See, for the child of God, this world is not our home, but for the unbeliever, they feel completely at home in this world. It feeds the lusts of their fallen natures, and it caters to their fleshly appetites, and it very successfully hides It's satanic nature with all the glitter and promise of fun and fulfillment, but it's a lie. This whole world system is a mirage. It's a lie. It's built on a lie, fueled by a lie, presents a lie, is infested with lies. And in truth, look what John says about it. 1 John 19, just a few verses from now that we're going to visit in just a moment. But look what he says. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. This is why Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer in John 17. He said, Lord, he said, Father, I I don't pray that you would take them from this world. But I pray that you will keep them from the evil one. Keep them from the evil one, the devil. So he said, I'm not praying you take them out. I'm praying that that while they're in it, they won't be of it. That while they're in it, they won't fall to it. While they're in it, they'll be able to successfully detach from it, from its lusts and enticements and so on and so forth. But for the child of God, folks, this world is not our home. This is the world, remember, that slaughtered our Savior and has persecuted the saints from time immemorial. Christians are citizens of another world. This place is not my home. I look at this world like a hotel. I'm here for a while, but then one day I'm checking out. Amen? It's a hotel. I'm here for a while. I'm going to check out. Uh, I'm here for a while because God's got me here to make a difference for him. But one day I'm going to check out, and when I check out, I'm really going to go home. This is not my home. I'm just passing through. Listen to the way it's described. Peter said, we are pilgrims and strangers in this world, on this earth. Pilgrims are always passing through. They never land uh, and stay in any one place. A pilgrim is one who is passing through a place, and we're strangers here. I don't know about you. But every passing day, when I look at the news, and I'm trying not to look at it so much, but when I look at it, with every passing day, I feel more and more like a stranger here. I mean, really and truly. This world is promoting and glorifying the sickest perversions. It it is attacking Christianity more and more and more. It defiles and stains and sullies the name of my Savior. Uh, I'm a stranger here. I I don't resonate with this world. Me and this world are like oil and water. We do not mix. I'm looking to another land, another world, another place. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many men. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, where I am, where I am, there you may be also. That's home. But but what John wants us to understand is the moment we become born again, we're called out of this world. We're called out of the influence of it, out of the pull of it, out of the ways of it, out of the thinking of it, out of the lifestyles of it. And we're empowered to overcome its temptations and lies. And John tells us how we're able to do this. How are we able to overcome this world? Our faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Our faith, by faith in our Savior, every single day we get up and we place our eyes on him. And and by we daily lay hold of the promises of God to make them our own. We daily crucify the flesh and walk in the spirit and all by faith. We overcome this present world so that when you're there at work and the foul language is flying and all the lustful talk and the bad jokes and the attitudes that aren't godly and people sniping at you and gossiping about you and, and, and you feel like you can't sit down at the lunch table with all of them because of what they're talking about, sometimes you just feel alone and isolated. John wants us to know you're not alone, He is with you. And the reason you feel isolated is because you're in this world, but you're not of this world. He's called you out. I want you to say with me, he's called me out called me to call me, call me in. Amen. So if you're delivered from this world, give the Lord a hand of praise one more time. Yeah. And, and it's a daily thing, isn't it? It's a daily thing. Every day you go out there into that world. That's why, how can you go out your front door in the morning, if you haven't been with God, really seriously, you need the Word of God every day because you're going out into a world that is devil-infested, yeah. devil-infested, sin-infected. It's everywhere. You need the armor on. You need to be full of the Holy Spirit. You need the Word of God guarding you and guiding you. Uh, you need that strength on the inside. So get with God in the morning. And as you do, you're going to overcome that world every day. Yeah. Amen? Now, next, John tells us something powerful about the witness of the Holy Spirit to the world and to us. What is the Holy Spirit witnessing to the world? He says in verse 6, this is he, that's Jesus Christ, who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it's the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is what, everyone? Truth. Now, What did he mean? mean? Uh, What do you mean, water and blood? Jesus came by water and blood. All right, the Spirit bears witness to the world first that Jesus came by water. What's that talking about? It's referring to his water baptism, where the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. And that was when John the Baptist presented him to the world, Uh, right at the same time he was about to embark on his ministry. He got water baptized, and you remember the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice was heard from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And John pointed to him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus was first recognized he came by water, the water of baptism. That's why we tell people, you got to get water baptized. If you're, if you're a professing Christian, you haven't been water baptized, you're still going to heaven, but you're missing something. Because Jesus commanded us to be water baptized, so that alone ought to get us in that water. Amen? But Jesus modeled getting water baptized. He got water baptized. And look what happened to him in the water. Holy Spirit came upon him. Okay? But he also came by blood. This is he who came by water and blood. What is he saying here? He's telling us he had true human blood. Now, why would he need to say that? Because he is again answering what I talked about in the very first night in this series. He's answering the false Gnostic teachers who claimed that Jesus had not come in the flesh as a true human being. They said he came as a spirit, but he did not come in the flesh. And this was a heresy. It's called the Gnostic heresy. And it was huge in the apostles' time. And so John is slamming right up against them and confronting them and saying, What you're teaching is wrong because my Savior came by blood, real blood, human blood. He was a human being. He was God wrapped in skin. He was incarnate, God incarnate in human flesh. Now, he continues regarding witnesses of Jesus. He tells us three things that bear witness in heaven and three that bear witness in earth, all about Jesus. He says in verse 7, for there are three that bear witness to these facts about Jesus having come in the flesh. There are three that bear witness in heaven. And, boy, you can't get stronger than this. The Father, the Word, that is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. They bear witness in heaven that Jesus became flesh and became a man and died for our sins. All right? They bear witness in heaven. And these three are one, they're unified, they agree together. But then there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit of God, the water of baptism, and the blood. These three agree as one. So when do people receive a particular witness that Jesus came in the flesh? First, by the Holy Ghost. It's to your advantage, Jesus said in John 14 through 16, He talked about the Holy Spirit in all three chapters, John 14, 15, and 16. It's to your advantage that I go. Because if I don't go, the Comforter won't come. But if I send him, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and coming judgment. And he will not speak of himself, but he will speak of me. And he will tell you things to come. All right? So what is the Holy Spirit? uh, What is his ministry on this earth? It is to testify of Jesus It is to to convict of the reality of Jesus. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So that's the first one he mentions. He bears witness on earth. Right now, all throughout the earth, people are coming under conviction. Right now, all over the planet, the Holy Spirit is convicting thousands of people right now that Jesus came in the flesh and they need to get saved. It's happening right now all over the world. Okay? The second thing that bears witness is the water, the water of baptism that Jesus himself submitted to. When I got baptized, I got baptized in Lake Dallas in January. Oh, I'm not kidding. I was crazy zealous. We went down there in a good time van. How many of you remember the good time vans? Those great big honking vans, good time vans. And we went down, there was several of us in this good time van. We went down, it was sleeting. But I had to get in that water. And the guy that baptized us went out first. I waited to see if he went under or if he stayed up. But I remember him going, come on, Jeff. And I stepped out there in blue jeans and a T-shirt, and that's it. And it was sleeting. I, could, I remember hearing it hit the water. And I walked out to him, and he just said, I, he said, do you accept Jesus? Yes, I do. He said, I baptize you. And he put me under. And I said, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll preach for you. But anyway, he put me under. He, came, he brought me up, and I'm going to tell you I had an experience. I did. There was a testimony to my heart that Jesus had touched me, saved me. There was a testimony. He says right here, water, the, the, the waters of baptism testify. They testify of Jesus. So, And I ran right back to that van, wrapped myself in a blanket, and I was preaching soon thereafter. Amen? Now, And then the blood. The blood testifies on earth. Well, we know what Revelation tells us. They overcame him by the what? Blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So what testifies of Jesus on earth? The Holy Ghost, the waters of baptism, and the blood of the lamb. They testify that Jesus came in the flesh. Amen? This is good stuff. Come on, everybody. Amen. I like this. This is good stuff. But then John talks about an even more irrefutable witness, and that is God himself regarding Christ Jesus. Verse 9, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is what? So if I go and I tell you, uh, uh, brother, Donna, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus changed my life. That's a man telling you, Donna, that Jesus changed my life. But look, when God says, Jesus is my only begotten son, If you believe my witness, aren't you going to believe his? Right? The witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God that he has testified of his son, that Jesus came in the flesh. Men tell us lots of things. I take what a lot of people say with a grain of salt. Talk is cheap. Actions aren't. False religions are everywhere spread by the the deceitful words of men. But regarding Christ, we have the witness of not only men, but God himself who has testified of his son. And that witness overrules anything that men have to say. Amen? But there's also another witness. Hey, say with me, can I get a witness? Because that's what these verses are all about. Can I get a witness? Lots of witnesses. So there's the witness of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. There's the witness of the blood and the water baptism. There's the witness of the Father himself irrefutably telling us. But now here's another witness. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness, where everybody? In himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony of God That God has given of his son. And this is the testimony that God's given. That he has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Can you imagine, folks? Think of the, the craziness of this. That the God who made everything. Who could blink and we are gone. Who holds your next breath in his hands. That God. That we would look at that God and say, you lie. You're a liar. Oh, that gave me creeps, and I'm not even saying it to God. But see, this is what John is saying. If you you hear of Jesus and you reject it and say it's not real, it's not true, then you have just called God, according to John, a liar. Because God has testified that he sent his only begotten son into the world. And, and how dare we call God a liar? So at the judgment, you know what God's going to say? People that never accepted Christ, rejected him, said, I don't believe it. God will say, you called me a liar. You called me a liar. And God's not a man. The Bible says that he can lie. Wow, heavy stuff. Believers not only have the witness of men, but the witness of God and, and the witness of the Holy Spirit within, but we have the also. I'm sorry, I got a little turnaround. We have the witness of God, but we also have the witness in our own souls, okay? The witness in ourselves. How many of you can remember when you got saved, there was a witness? You said, wow, this is witnessing to me. I've got something telling me on the inside. I'm saved now, Amen. So we have the, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, Paul wrote. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So we look up and we say, what, Father? Abba. Can we look up and just say, Abba, Father? Say, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. So we have the witness of God, the witness of the Son, the witness of the Holy Spirit, the witness of water baptism, the witness of the blood, and we have the witness in ourselves that we are children of God. Can we give the Lord a hand for that? Amen, amen, amen. The facts are simple and sobering. John says in verse 12, he who has the Son has life. Can you all catch this now? Don't let this go past you. Because this is black and white, good and bad, saved or lost. Listen to it. If you have Jesus, you have life. But if you don't have the Son of God, you do not have life. Without Jesus, you remain spiritually dead in your sins. If you have Christ, you're alive in heaven. There's no in between. There isn't one. He didn't say, if you have Muhammad, you have life. If you have Buddha, you have life. If you love yourself, you have life. If you're born with good pedigree, you have life. If you have a lot of money, you have life. If you're talented out the wazoodle, you have life. No, no, no. He said, only if you have the son, you have life. And if you don't have the son, you're not spiritually alive. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. Heavy stuff. Come on, church. You say, well, Jeff, that's so narrow. Yes, it's narrow. I admit it, it's narrow. And you know why why it's good that it's narrow? Because it's simple. It's not complicated. You don't have to go figure out some philosophical dissertation. If you have Christ, you have life. If you don't have Christ, you're dead in trespasses and sins. So if you're dead, get alive by coming to Christ. Now, John in verse 13 decides to tell us why he wrote this letter. He says in verse 13, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so I'm talking to Christians, that you may what, everyone? No. Now, why would he need to tell Christians? Let me. I'm giving you these things so that you can be certain. I'll tell you why. Because some of them were doubting their salvation. Or why would he say this? He said, I've written this letter so that you may hope so. No. So that you may know so. So that you may know you have eternal life. And so that you will continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So I've given you this letter so that you can know you're saved. And also so that you will know how to continue walking in him until you go to meet him. So Christianity is not a hope so, maybe so, perhaps so religion. It is a relationship with God. Founded on the absolute certainty that if you have turned to Christ by faith and been born again, you know that you have eternal life. God doesn't want you tormented with doubts about it. say, well, Jeff, I mess up sometimes. Oh, really? Join the club. But he says, "I, I want you to know how you know. I want you to know that you know that you know. I want you to walk in the security that you know. I want you to go to sleep at night knowing, not doubting, wondering, tossed to and fro, full of fear, full of uncertainty. I want you to know. Now, the word know here, that you may know, is from a Greek word that means to get it, to get it. It's used in in the expressions like, oh, I see what you mean, or I see what you're saying. Here's the idea. You're listening to somebody explain something, and you completely get it. You go, oh, yeah, yeah, I got you. I'm with you. I totally get what you're saying. I understand what you're saying to me. He's saying that you may get it, that you are saved, period, that you may get it. Amen. Amen. Not a shadow of a doubt. You'll say, well, Jeff, isn't that kind of arrogant? Shouldn't we kind of wonder sometimes? No, why do that? Why do that? If you're a child of God, you, have you ever wondered if you're your parents' child? Well, I'm kind of wondering if the people that raised me are really mom and dad. Or am I somebody else's? Or is this really my name? You know, if you're going through that, you got issues. I, can, I may have gone through a lot, but I know who my mommy and daddy were. See, you know who your Father is. You know who your Savior is. Amen? Amen. 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 Everybody say, no so. If you know so, raise your hand. I know so. Good deal. Amen. Now next, John continues in the same vein by talking about the certainty of answered prayer. He says, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything, According to his will, he might just hear you. What does it say? He hears us. Now, here comes two no's. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know. Look at all the no sos in these verses. I know I'm saved, and I know I'm being heard, and I know I've got what I prayed for. We know we have the petitions we've asked of him. So so John here is dealing with certainty. And confidence confidence here means boldness in god's presence in the place of prayer. This is the boldness we have in him in the place of prayer. Now the phrase according to his will, if we pray if we ask according to his will, that phrase is the balance to mark eleven twenty four that so many people quote where jesus said here's Jesus' words, therefore I say to you." Same words, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe you receive them and you will have them. But now John adds an addition and he says, if you prayed according to his will. Okay, thank God for that addition. Because a lot of people have gone nuts with Mark eleven twenty four. Well, anything I want, Rolls Royce, mansion multi-million dollar salary, whatever, I'm going to get it. But no, John comes along, thankfully, and says, if you're praying according to his will, you'll have it. You'll know that you have it. And when we pray according to his will, the same Greek word is used for know. We know he hears us. We get it. We get it. See, when I pray now, I don't wonder if he's hearing me. I'm not trying to sound arrogant, and and I'm not patting myself On the back and saying that I'm super spiritual, I'm not. I struggle like you. I have battles in my faith. Uh, You know, I got to crucify my flesh just like you. But what I'm telling you is, if I know I've prayed according to his will, I know, I get it, he heard me. I get it. I understand the proposition. You pray in my name according to my will, you got it. The Christian that's confident in prayer, I thought of this little thing I heard uh, and read a while back. The devil trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. I like that. Now next, John is going to shift gears. And my folks, everybody say it's getting serious. Say it again, it's getting serious. Grab the sides of your chair, we're about to get serious. Because now he's going to talk about the seriousness of sin. Having just given a straight talk about prayer, he encourages prayer for a brother who is falling, who is faltering, who is giving in to sin. Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, I'm going to explain that in a moment, which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death, but there's also a sin that leads to death. All right, let's back up, and let me just unpack this, because this is really important. First, we're to pray for straying brethren. Amen? We're not to judge them, point at them, condemn them, gossip about them, go tell the whole world what they're doing. We are to pray for straying brethren. John assumes that if we see a brother in sin, we're going to pray for his recovery. And this is exactly what Paul wrote about in Galatians. Paul said, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, beat him up. Is that what it says? No. What does it say? What's the magic word? Everybody say restore with me. Restore. Restore you who are, you who say you know Jesus and love Jesus and you're a church person and a Bible person and a mature spiritual believer, you who say you, you are a grown-up Christian, you ought to be the one that restores such a one. Now, part of the restoration process is to pray for them. That's what John's talking about. He says the power of our prayer is so strong That God will save them from their sinning by sending strong conviction and repentance, which results in life. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask. That's talking about pray to God about him. And he, God, will give him life. For those committing a sin that's not leading to death, God will deal with them. All right. So if we see somebody out there stumbling that they used to be in church all the time, and boy, they were there, uh, hallelujah, kumbaya, hands raised, walking with God, love Jesus, but something happens, and the the word here, "overtaken," is a powerful word. It means to be. It means that even you, the one who fell, are shocked. Even you can't believe what you are doing. That's the idea of the word. If he's overtaken. you're being overwhelmed by something. You have opened a door or you stumbled into something and and it triggered your flesh. And and now you're walking in some things that it shocks even you. That's the idea. And so you're overtaken. You you know, you're overtaken. You can't help yourself. You need somebody to step in the gap and help you. Pray for you. And that's where the church steps in. The church is not to be a gossip mill. It's not to point to people and go, have you heard about so-and-so? Oh, yeah, 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 they're hitting the bars, they're doing this and that, they're fornicating, adulterating, whatever, they're on drugs, they're, they're drinking all, whatever. It's instead of pointing to them and saying, isn't that terrible, and they become the topic of gossip, he says, if you consider yourself mature, you will pray for them, and you will cover them, and you will believe God for their restoration." Okay? Because even they are shocked. If they could tell you the truth about themselves, they would say, I can't believe what I'm doing. I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I've ended up in this position. That's the idea. But there's another kind of sin. John calls it a sin that leads to death. The sin leading to death is the case where the person refuses warnings. And is determined to continue in their course. They kick against every attempt to help them. Their mind is made up to pursue their destructive ways. And this has been going on for for usually some time. Because God loves us. And when we first stumble, he will come to us personally and say, hey, you need to repent, you need to get out of this. If we don't, he will make other people aware of our error. And those people are supposed to, as believers, step in and try to restore us. But if we resist that, God goes from a whisper, turn, repent. I love you. Do it before I've got to expose it. But then we say, no way. Then God says, repent. Do it. And now here's a few people that I've let in on what's going on so they can talk to you. They love you. Listen to them. No way. I'm not listening to them. Here's what God does. Repent. Before it's eternally too late. Before you crash and burn. And if you say forget it there, You may be in a sin leading to death because here's what God will do. God will either severely rebuke that child to save you or he will take you home early to save you. Now, I know this is serious, and I really prayed over this here. I've pastored 35 years. Let me tell you, I can count on one hand the people I have seen That I really do believe God took home prematurely. God took home early because they kicked against his call. Uh, They kicked against everything that came at them to restore them and save them, to bring them back, to return them. They kicked and kicked and they wouldn't listen and they wouldn't listen until finally they could no longer hear God at all. But to save their soul, he will take them home. I can count on one hand. It's very, very rare. It happens. But I can count on way more hands, people who have said no to the whisper, no to the talk, no to the yell of God, no to the shout of God, and they kept on going and came under a severe rebuke. And it's always a shipwreck. It's always a complete crash where virtually everything is lost, and 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 they they they're whittled down to a stump. You remember Nebuchadnezzar? He was it, the the way the Bible describes Nebuchadnezzar when God humbled him, and he was eating grass like an animal, and he grew out fingernails like bird claws, and he, he was living just like an animal. Uh, the 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 vision that was the dream that was given him was that he was reduced to a stump. He had been this flourishing tree, but he was reduced to a stump. But God preserved the stump. And when Nebuchadnezzar came back to himself and got his sanity back, it became a tree again. But see, God took him down to nothing. And that's what I mean by the Bible says, he who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly, everybody say suddenly, Suddenly. be what? Destroyed and that without remedy. Now, it is isn't interesting here that John says in this case, prayer is of no avail. A person get to the, can get to the place where God will say it's of no avail because he will not force a person to submit to him. He'll finally lead them to themselves and may even take them home. Everybody say, serious. I told you it was serious. All right. Now we're coming towards the close. Everybody say, hallelujah. Now I know what you're thinking. Well, Jeff... Somebody's in my life, and I don't know which category they're in. Is it too late? Are they gone? Are they irredeemable? Or do I keep on praying? Only God can show you that. There's a there's a few people in my life God has said to me, "Walk away. There's nothing more you can do. There's nothing more you can do. Leave them to me." And and I did. But almost ninety nine point nine percent of the time, I keep praying. Now. John closes out his letter with three we knows. We know. Everybody say we know. know. The Greek word he uses for know here is the same one we looked at earlier. It means we get it. We've come to understand completely. So the first we know is we know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning. For God's son holds them securely and the evil one cannot touch them. Yeah, amen, amen. So that's the first we know. So here's another no-so. He wants you to know you're God's child. In verse 17, John addressed the exception to the general rule, those who sin ascend sin to death or who really get out there and mess up bad. But that's the exception to the general rule. Sometimes a believer will obstinately go his own way resulting in severe rebuke from God. But in verse 18 that we just read, John gives the overwhelmingly normal fact for a believer that God's children not don't sin, but they don't live in it. They don't make a practice of it. They don't comfortably live in it without coming under conviction, okay? Because you've got a brand new nature that wants to please God. The Lord Jesus holds us securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. And the better translation there would be, cannot keep them or hold them. I don't believe a true born-again Christian can be demon-possessed. No, that doesn't make any sense. You're telling me that you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and there's a demon right there next to the Holy Ghost? Uh Uh-uh. You can be oppressed you can be attacked but once you're born again you cannot be demon possessed i don't believe it so that's the first we know we know that God's children don't practice sinning the second thing we know is we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one we know that we are of God we're certain that we are of God that we are God's children through Christ and we are also certain that the entire world is under the control and dominion of Satan. Should that be a shock to any of us looking at what's going on out there? Should that shock any of us? No. So it makes all the sense in the world to shun that world. And the third we know is we know that the Son of God has come and given us an understanding. In other words, he has opened our eyes to the true reality of things as they are, spiritual reality, heaven, hell, salvation, angels, demons, God, all the Bible fills us in on. He's given us an understanding. Why? So that we can know him, his son, Jesus Christ. That's the true God. He's the true God in eternal life. Now, the first no, as we close now, the first no in verse 20 is the one meaning, I get it. But the second no, where it says that we may know him who is true, is from another Greek word, meaning to come to know something or someone progressively over time. Our relationship with Jesus is progressive. We come to know him better and better over time. How many of you can say, I know him better than I knew him last year? Amen? All right, that's that no. That's that note. We come to know him progressively. Now, John closes with a short but powerful four word command. I love it. He ends just like John. Little children. Now that I've stung you a bunch of times, little children. All right? Keep yourselves from idols. Now, I look this up. It's better translated. Keep yourselves from your idols. What is it that takes you down easy? But what is that one thing you struggle with, all right? That one thing, person, place, thing, doesn't matter, that one thing. He says, he says, look, if it takes the place of God, it's an idol. If it gets first place in your life, it's an idol. So he says, little children, in closing, keep yourselves from those idols. Keep Jesus number one. Keep yourself from anything that could be a snare to you. We're done. Can we stand together tonight? Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen. Amen. Come on. Amen. Amen. Now you know I'm I'm feeling a burden with some of you that when I talk about people who get out there and we're to restore them, um, how many of you can say I, there's somebody in my life that I know that needs to be restored? We're going to pray for them right now. They need to be restored. They need to be restored. All right, let's all lift our hands and let's pray for those people. Lord, you know who they are. You know their names. You know what has gotten hold of them. You know what's made them stumble. Lord, in Jesus' name, we ask you to rescue them, touch them, convict them, bring the walls to close in on them. Don't let them enjoy the sin anymore. Remove from them the people that are influencing them for the devil. Lord, in Jesus' name, Wrap around them a hedge of thorns that they can't turn this way or that way. And, Lord, convict them and bring them to their knees in repentance and back to you. Now give them, give God their name. Just go ahead and just say their name to God. Now say, Lord, I give them to you. And I trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.